Good morning. Great response. For all of you who have heard me sing before, you can exhale. I'm not going to be leading worship this morning. So um, I, I thought I heard my wife cheer briefly. <laughs> Maybe one day. When I was, uh, years ago when the kids were young, I would sing the opening about three bars of the Canadian National Anthem. Uh, and it would annoy the stew out of them. So maybe one day I'll do that. Um, I do have a quick announcement this morning, and then we'll have a time of prayer before we start our worship. If you were in Sunday school, you heard someone from Family Matters come by and promote or announce that we are going to have a conference on February 2nd and 3rd. This conference is put on by CPYU, which is the Center for Parent and Youth Understanding. A fellow by the name of Walt Mueller is going to come. He's been working with parents and young people for 35 years uh, at the cross-section of the Bible and, and our, our culture. So he will talk about biblical truth about sex and gender in today's world. February 2nd is a Friday. We're going to start at 7 and go to 9 p.m. And then Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon, we'll have some snacks on Friday. And then uh, a meal, lunch will be provided after we wrap up on Saturday. So what we want you to understand is that there is a sign-up sheet uh, directly outside of the, the uh, sanctuary and if you want to sign up, paper copy, old school, pen and, and, and paper, you can. Otherwise, there are two ways that you can sign up. We have some flyers that have a QR code on it. You can scan it with your cell phone and sign up. It takes about 30 seconds. Or you could go directly to the church's website under events. There is the CPYU Conference 2024, and you can sign up there. Um, anyone 13 years of age an older is encouraged to attend. Uh, if you have any interaction with preteens, teens, young people, if you have kids, grandkids, nieces and nephews, if you are being barraged by um, counter-biblical ideas and thoughts as it relates to gender and sexuality, you really want to attend. One of the things, or a couple of things that Walt is going to answer will be, what is the sex-positive movement? He'll talk about that. He's going to answer the question, what are the LGBTQ plus ideologies and how they are influencing the beliefs and behaviors of our kids? And then, how can we encourage and foster spiritual growth, relational growth, and create a healthy biblical understanding of the beauty of God's sex and gender positive design. So this is something that uh, we would love to fill the sanctuary for on Friday and Saturday. And it's really important that you sign up just so we can get an accurate, um, an accurate count for our, uh, our meal that we'll provide. So please come. We do have some flyers that are still available if you want to take to your friends and family. But... Sign up so that we can so we can get an, an accurate number. Do we have any quick questions? Anybody? All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll start worship. Father, this morning we're thankful for 
a warm place to meet when it is frigid outside. We're thankful for the freedom and liberty that we experience to be able to worship you and to recognize you as sovereign and holy and perfect and loving. And Lord, we not only come this morning asking you to bless the the time that we'll have of worship, the time that we'll have to, to learn from your word, but we're also asking you tonight or this morning to to bless the conference that will come up in two weeks, Lord. We pray that there would be lives and families whose trajectories are changed and, and transformed as a result of, of this conference. Lord, I pray that there would uh, be eyes that are opened and uh, I pray that, that hearts would be, would be turned and that you would continue to allow us to reach folks outside of these four walls and uh, especially in our community. So bless the conference. Bless our time together, and may the things that are said and done today bring you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning, church. <laughs> it's great to see you guys this morning. I look forward to worshiping with you all every week. And um, as we were praying this morning uh, just for the service, um, I heard it mentioned a couple of times, and sometimes that will happen. You know, you get a little theme going as the Lord leads you in prayer. And, uh, they were talking about, uh, they were grateful for music. They were grateful for the gift of music. I heard that said two or three times. And we are, right? Music is a gift. It's what God gives us. Uh, truths that are sung are sometimes just a little more powerful than truths that are just stated, right? Uh, because that music synergizes with the words. God uses it that way to pull on our emotions and kind of bring us closer to him, and that's the goal. But the other thing that came up in the prayer was that while music is great and we're grateful for it, it's the truth that, that we're seeing that is the most important part because it's about glorifying God. And so that's all Stan. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to play just kind of quietly. And let's just take a minute and just talk to the Lord and ask him through his spirit uh, to just help us to kind of comprehend what we're singing. These songs this morning are about who God is. So let's just ask the Lord to let this worship time be pleasing to him and glorifying to him. Exalted, the king is exalted on high. 
unstoppable, unchangeable. You see the depths of my heart and you love me the same. You are amazing, God. You see the depths of my heart and you love me the same. the depths of my heart and you love me the same you are amazing God Stars in all the 
be close, close to your side, so heaven is real and death is alive. I want to hear voices of angels above, singing as one. Of your name, King 
so wonderful about that song it's scripture <laughs> everything <laughs> is scripture um, we're going to be singing one day before the great I am and if that doesn't get you going I don't know what will um, what an incredible God we serve After something like that, you just like, Lord, come on right now. Yeah, right now. And you are looking for the coming of the Lord, aren't you? Good. I hope you're ready so that when he comes, then he will take you home. I know he's going to take me home. And I hope you know that he's going to take you home. And if you're not taken to heaven, you'll be here on earth. You'll be left, and there'll be a great tribulation. And the Lord's grace will still be present because there'll be 144,000 witnesses plus two others. If you read through the scriptures, it's just grace, grace, grace. It's God's grace. You know, he desires that all come to repentance. All come to faith. What's sad is that many won't. But I trust this morning that you know you belong to Him, and indeed He is your Savior, and that you're living for Him as the Lord of your life. Um, this morning, I got in my car, in my truck, and it was eight degrees. Wow, that was that's cold. And then I, so I came. I live out. Uh, we, my wife and I live out off of uh, uh, Brasher Road. Uh, in Pinson, where the blinking light is when you go up about 79. We live off that road. 
and it was eight degrees. And so I drove my truck, and I noticed that when I got to Springville Road, it was 10 degrees. I was super excited and got to Deerfoot Parkway, and it was 12 degrees. And then I pulled into the parking lot here at Grace, and it was 13 degrees, and I thought, I need the sunscreen, right? <laughs> well, this morning, we want to start going through the book of John. We've had our introductions, but I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we want to, this morning, we're going to see that John lays the foundation for the entire book right here in the first five verses. And it's amazing that the songs were sung this morning that were. I was, you know, Brian and I didn't talk about it. Um, the Lord put all that together. And uh, those songs just fit so well with the way John starts this letter. And I think it's important that you would know that John wrote this letter between 85 and 95. And during that period of time in which John wrote the Gospel of John, there was one who was emperor of Rome whose name was Domitian. And you need to know that the emperors wanted to be worshipped themselves. They viewed themselves as deity, as God, and they wanted everyone else to view themselves that way. In fact, they had statues that were built. They had temples that were there in order that you might sacrifice to them. So here's this guy who comes along, and his name's John. He's like, nah, that's a bunch of baloney, right? And he writes about, on the island of Patmos, he writes the book of the Revelation that we have, and it's likely that he even penned during that time the Gospel of John, if not just previous to that. But he writes in response, and this is important to hear, to what's going on in that current world and culture of Rome and their influence throughout the world. So as you come to the Gospel of John, that needs to be uh, foremost in your mind because it relates to the purpose. Does that make sense? It relates to the purpose as to why John wrote building the argument, indeed, there is one God, but it's not you, Domitian. It is Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that make news, right? You could just see the papers. Hey, Domitian is not God. Jesus Christ is God. What if we were to go out and proclaim to family and friends, that there is but one God, and that is Jesus Christ. How would family and friends receive that? How would the world receive that today? If we really stood our ground and said, yes, there is a God, Jesus Christ the Lord. How important is that to say? How important is that to proclaim? John believed very, very important, and that's the way he starts out this book. It's also important for you to know, as we enter this particular section of Scripture in John, that John, in his writing, goes back to the beginning. The question becomes, what beginning? Well, is it creation? I don't think so. I think it's before creation. We're going to see that. But John goes back before creation to say... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. Did you notice that he is a pronoun? Did you notice that? Pronouns are important today. Our culture says so. So we're going to look at that and say, it is important. What does John identify anywhere in this passage of Scripture and beyond verses 1 through 5? Who the Word is? What in the world is he talking about when he says, in the beginning was the Word? He identifies the Word in verse 14. He says, then the Word became what? Flesh. Oh, man. The God-man, Jesus Christ. But as you approach the Gospels, it's important for you to understand that the other gospel writers go back too. They just don't go back as far as John does. Matthew goes back to Abraham. Did you know that? When you read the genealogy there, he goes back to Abraham. Well, why would he go back to Abraham? Well, because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promises that were given to Israel. Right? Right. Okay? And so Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And you'll see all throughout the the Gospel of Matthew, fulfillment, fulfillment, fulfillment. And the, at the end of that equation is Jesus Christ. So for a Jew, that was really important because the Jews were looking for a Messiah. A lot of them missed out on that, right? The first coming, they missed out on the fact that Jesus Christ indeed was the Messiah. Well, Mark goes back as well. Did you not know that? You know, people tend to leave poor Mark out, right, who had a lot of testimony from Peter. A lot of theologians believe that Peter was the one who fed the information to Mark as he penned these words. But here's the reality. Mark must have felt left out like, hey, listen, I did right. Right? I did right what I was given. And, you know, he went back to the book of Isaiah. Did you know that? You did know that because I know you're students of the word. And you know that in chapter 1, he goes back to Isaiah. Well, why in the world does he go back to Isaiah? Because Isaiah prophesies of one who's going to come, and he's going to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He's going to be the messenger and say, hey, here he is. You know that? Right? That's the gospel of Mark. Well, when you go to Luke, he goes back to, because he's writing about the Son of Man, he goes back all the way back to Adam. And do you know that we know from the Bible that God breathed what into Adam? He breathed life into Adam. So the Bible tells us, right? And so then in the Gospel of Luke, he writes about the Son of Man, right? The life giver, right? He writes about the one who gives eternal life. Who's the one that gives eternal life? The Lord Jesus Christ. Well, then John goes back before creation. And that's what we're told here in the Gospel of John. I want to read the first five verses, and then we're going to go through them together. But I wanted you to kind of have a flavor of, of the context. That's important to know as you're reading through the Gospels. It's important to kind of understand, you know, each Gospel writer and why they, why they wrote, what they wrote. He writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. In him was Zoe. In him was eternal life. That's what he's saying. And the life, Zoe, was the light. The phos is the word. It refers to just light in general, but oftentimes in the scriptures when we talk about light, we're talking about truth. Okay? In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You know what we're not going to do today? We're not going to skip verse 5. Whenever um, I first started studying the scriptures back in college, I remember running across this, this verse, and, and I was like, yeah, we'll just, I don't understand that one. <laughs> we'll just move on to verse 6. Because that's just, it's kind of a different kind of verse, isn't it? But guess what we're not going to do this morning? We're not going to skip that. We're going to look at it together. Okay, what in the world is John saying there? So there are some very important foundational truths that John is going to lay out in these first five verses, and we want to take a look at them together. We want to talk about them, okay? So the first thing that he says to us is that, or to his audience is, hey, Jesus Christ has always been. That's what he says in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, was the Logos. Logos is the word for word. Now, it's important that you understand why John uses that word, okay? The word word. It's important for you to understand that. Because if you just look at it, why in the world did, did John just not write, you know, in the beginning was Jesus Christ, right? Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he start out like that? It would have made a whole lot better sense, but it really makes more sense him using Logos. Now, you didn't understand why. There's reason why. Who did John write to? Who was he writing to? Well, Matthew wrote, as we talked about last week, he wrote to the Jews. Mark wrote to the Romans. Luke wrote to the Greeks. What about John? Who in the world did he write to? The world. Oh. So if you're writing to the world, then you need to use terms that the world's going to be able to, you know, be interested in, kind of identify with. That's what happens here. He uses the word logos because this message that he gives to them is for everyone. It's for the Jew. It's for the Gentile. Now you say, well, that, what, what about that? Well, to a Greek, logos pointed to order. When they use that term, logos pointed to order and reason. Does that make sense? Right? That's how they thought of the term logos. Well, what's John saying here? That with the Lord Jesus, there's order and there's reason. There's purpose. Okay? Well, that's to the Greek. To the Jew, logos pointed to creation. All right? It pointed to creation, to the past. Now, you think, well, Jesus Christ, was he present at creation? The answer is yes. Let who? Let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. Who's our? Our's plural, right? So we're talking about the Godhead. Okay? And so when we think about, or when a Jew thought about Logos, he thought about not only creation, but he thought about messages. Because primarily that term, that Hebrew term that was used, referred to messages, okay? Messages through the prophets. Well, what did the prophets do? They wrote messages about who? About the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you think about the word logos, it's a very, very important word in terms of what John was trying to accomplish through writing. He was right. listen, think about this. He was writing to Jews who were looking for the Messiah. Now remember, this letter was written between 85 and 95, and the Lord had already lived and, and died and rose again back with his father. But John is seeing 
in, in, in looking back, the audience that was in front of the living word, Jesus Christ. Who was the audience? Well, it was a bunch of people in that Roman world who were being told that Domitian was God. That he was the one that was worthy of the worship. Right? He was the one worthy of sacrifice and praise. And John comes along and says, uh-uh, that's not right. It's Logos. It's Logos. And so that's why he uses the term here. So the first thing we need to think about, in the beginning was the word. We need to think about the fact that Jesus Christ existed eternally. He always has been and he always will be. So the pre-incarnate Christ has always been and will always be. There's a man named Henry Morris who wrote this statement. There has never been a time when the word was not. Isn't that good? You're like, well, what's the big deal? Well, I like the fact that he always has been. Because when I think about the fact that he always will be, I think when I am raptured, that's what I'm looking to. When I'm raptured, I'm always going to be with him. And that, you know what's interesting? Is that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, we will forever be with the Lord, the one who is forever. Isn't that good? That's good. Right? It's really good. It's so good that you ought to be rejoicing in your seat right now. It's good. So when we think about Jesus Christ, and when John's writing to his audience, he's like, hey, listen, you need to think in terms of he has always been. That little word was is a pointer in the Greek, to, and it means before. Before what? Mm, well, I think the answer John actually gives in the text. Before creation. Before verse 3. Right? Before there was creation. In the beginning was the Logos, the Word. All right? Well, the second thing he says is right there in verse 1 as well. Not only has Jesus Christ always been, but the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ has always been in existence with the Father. It's accurate to say, I believe, in context that he's talking in terms of the Father, but I don't think it's wrong for us to think in terms of the Godhead. The Godhead has always been in existence. Do you understand what I mean by that? Right? One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? Not separate gods. Right? Some people teach that, profess that, that Jesus Christ is a God, right? No, he is God. And so we need to think. You say, well, that, how do you explain the Trinity? In all my years of ministry, I have yet to hear a really good analogy. I'm just being honest with you because it breaks down. So I'm very comfortable saying there is one God in three persons, and one day I'm going to understand that completely. Right? But Jesus Christ, it says, has always been in existence with the Father. Well, did you know there's some verses that speak about that? John chapter 17 and verse 5. The context of John 17, 5 is the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. He's in the upper room with his disciples. And this is what he says. 
Now, Father. You're going to notice, especially in John, the relationship between the Father and the Son is beautiful. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you. What's that next phrase? Before the world was. Oh! Isn't it great? Listen to me. I've got a, this is a little commercial. It's a timeout commercial. You, you guys watch commercials? I don't like commercials. But this, I think you're going to like this commercial. Scripture proves Scripture. Okay, this is a brief commercial. The Super Bowl is about to happen in a few weeks. My Cowboys aren't going to be there. <laughs> Sad. Second team Packers aren't going to be there either. What kind of Super Bowl is that going to be? But listen, they, they, did you know that they'll sell 30-second spots during the Super Bowl for millions of dollars? Wouldn't it be nice if we get on there for 30 seconds? Wouldn't that be great? And to say, hey, Jesus Christ is God. He's the Savior of the world, and there is one way to the Father, and that's through the Son. Commercial over. Listen to me. Scripture proves Scripture. So when you're like, I don't know, is there another Scripture that speaks about this? Oh, yeah. Scriptures, listen, you find creation. Just take the example of creation. Old Testament, New Testament, right? You think about the love of God, Old Testament, New Testament, mercy, Old Testament, New. It's just a beautiful thing, all right? So when we think about the second statement, and the word was with God, we need to Think in terms of existence. But there's also something else there that we'll talk about in just a moment. And there's a reason I'm saving it for you. Okay? So, the first thing is, in the beginning was the Word. He's always been. The second thing that we see in the text is that Jesus Christ has always been in existence with the Father. And He Himself says so in chapter 17. The third thing we see is that the Word was God. Jesus was God. Jesus Christ has always been God. In fact, did you know that in John's gospel, if we just, this is what's so beautiful, I think, about the introduction to John, which you have in 1 through 5 that lays the foundation. Everything that's said in 1 through 5 is said through the rest of the gospel. You don't have to go, well, let me go to another book and find it. No, no, no. You don't have to do that. In fact, in John chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Oh, okay. Wow. Have you heard that before? That they are one in essence. And this is a practical example of what that means. I love what one theologian wrote. He said, because they're one in essence, the Son is to be worshipped with the same worship as is due the Father. Isn't that good? It is good. So, Jesus Christ is God. Did you know, and I know you remember because you're great students, last week we talked about the fact that in this gospel, there are going to be some that are going to indeed say, Jesus is God. Do you know who's saying it right now in verses 1 through 5? John is. Oh, well, who's John? He's the apostle, the beloved disciple who hung out with Jesus for three and a half years. And his claim to the Roman world and to Domitian and all those other guys is, hey, Jesus Christ is God. 
Now, if you're Domitian sitting in your palace, you know, eating your steak and potatoes, you're like, Who, what? Who's this guy? Do you know that still goes on today? You went out to the streets of New York City or San Francisco. Think of all the big cities you go to. And if you just did a survey, who is Jesus Christ? Well, and you, you just got to love the answers people give. Well, I heard about him. He's a historical figure. He died, but we don't know anything about him. Well, hold on a second. I agree with you, he died. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says he died and he was buried. And the Bible says he rose again. And the Bible says there were over 500 witnesses to his resurrection. Right? Guys, we don't have to make up stuff. It's right here in the book. And we don't have to worry about what the world thinks. We need to stand on what the Word says. Does that make sense? Well, John Phillips says this about Jesus Christ being God. He says, in his essence and what he actually is, in his nature, person, and personality, and his attributes and character, Jesus is all that God is. He's all that the Father is. And that's important to know. In John chapter 14 and verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? You know, one of the things I love about my God, my Lord, my Savior, Jesus Christ, you know one of the things I love? He was so personal with his people. said that what's the big deal about that you seem to be pausing i am he was so personal with philip he was so personal with thomas he was so personal with john he's so personal with you you said what's the big deal you've been through hardships listen to me the people with the best intentions when you're going through hardship can't do what Jesus does. They can't. 35 years I've been going to hospitals. I've been going to, I used to term them old folks' homes. Now they're looking pretty young to me. <laughs> but I, I, I would visit these folks and and. And the pain and the suffering physically and the hardship. And I walk in these rooms and I say, what in the world can I do? You say, Thad, how bad is it? Come with me sometime. You'll see people who have, have their leg and it, it's really hurting and there's so much pain. They just want relief from the pain. They just want their head to stop hurting. They just want their gut to stop hurting. They, listen, physical pain is a robbery. Did you know it robs people of joy? By the way, it does that. But I want to go in and I want to minister to them, but I in no way am a replacement for Jesus Christ. Not even close. You know how I know that? Because he's the one that can give that person who's going through hardship peace. I can't do that. 
He's the one that can minister to that person when in their mind there's just excruciating pain. It's one thing to have physical pain. It's another thing to have mental anguish. You say, Dad, does that really happen? Oh, it happens. To the point where people are looking for something to help them. And to the Christian community, I want to say, listen, don't look for something. Look for someone. That someone's available, and that someone's Christ. He can take away that pain and that suffering and that hardship. Whether it's physical or emotional, whether it's family. I mean, you're going to have family hardship. If you haven't had it, you're going to have it. You say, I want to be immune to that. Well, I'm sorry. The reality is life itself brings pain and suffering. Jesus Christ, listen to me, he can minister to you like no one else. Don't put him on the back shelf. Well, all right. See, that all that stuff's pretty good. What about verse 2 and 3 and 4 and 5? Here it is. You ready? Verse 1's a sermon in itself, if you want it to be. But look at the fourth thing he says. Not only has Jesus Christ always been, and always been in existence with the Father, and not only is Jesus Christ God, and always been God, but Jesus Christ has always been in fellowship with the Father. You say, Dad, I don't think it says that. I don't see that word. That's why you study. Look at verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. That word with is a little bitty word that carries a whole lot of punch. Do you know what that word with means? It means toward. It means to be in company with. Oh. So when you think about what John is saying to his audience, he's saying to his Greek audience and Jewish audience, Jesus Christ has always been in fellowship with the Father. He's always been in communion with his Father. He's always been in company with his Father. You say, Dad, what's the big deal about being in company with someone? Well... John's just telling his audience that Jesus Christ has always been in company with his Father. I don't know about you, but I enjoy fellowship. Do you? Do you know the word means toward? So Jesus has always been toward his Father. When I think about that on a personal level, on a church level, I'm thinking, I like being toward you. Is that okay? For some of you, like, know that. <laughs> I like being in company with you. Think about it. The Father and the Son have had constant fellowship. There's lots of good things here. Are you ready for this? If you're in Christ and I'm in Christ, we can have a fellowship that the world cannot have. They can't have it. You say, what does fellowship mean? Well, glad you asked. John, in 1 John, says, Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, 
Jesus Christ. That's good, isn't it? So part of the fellowship for you and me, if we're in Christ, is fellowship with the Father and fellowship with the Son. But there's also fellowship with one another around the Lord. Remember back in 2020 when that kind of hurt, right? Ten weeks or so and you, 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 we weren't around one another. You remember that time? There were only ten people in here with me every week. I love those ten people, don't get me wrong. But I was like, man, I was ready for other people to show up. Because being with the body of Christ is a picture of the fellowship that goes on between the Father and the Son. Fellowship, togetherness. That's why the author of Hebrews wrote what he did. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. Especially as you see the day drawing near what day? Judgment. You can't beat fellowship with believers. My pastor in New York, Phil Stam. Great man of God. He taught me a lot. You know what? He made a comment to me one day that I've never forgotten. We used to save our vacation for Christmas time. Teresa and I, we'd drive back down to Alabama. We lived in New York, for those of you who might not know. Winter wonderland it was. Do you think today was cold? <laughs> when you walk from your house to your car and your nose hairs freeze, that's cold. <laughs> no one likes to admit they have them, but when you get past 40, something happens to you, right? And all of a sudden, these little creatures start coming out. So, I mean, really cold up there. But we would save our vacation to come back and see family because we have family here in Alabama, family in Arkansas, Wupig. And we would come down. And, and I remember Phil one time saying to me, hey, Thad, one day you'll enjoy fellowship more or as much with your church family as you do your family. And I'm like, guy fell in his head. He didn't fall and hit his head. He's right. There's a bond, listen to me, there's a bond that you and I have as believers that no one can strip away. So you think about when we talk about the importance of the body being in unity. No wonder Paul wrote about it over and over and over again. Because we want to be in fellowship with one another, don't we? So that little word there, with, is really important. And did you know that in verse 18, there's another expression that communicates this intimacy between the Father and Son. Look at verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He's explained him. That phrase there in the original language means intimate communion. There was intimate communion between the Father and the Son. You say, Thad, how long? From eternity past. 
It's always been there. And it will always be there. So, in the beginning was the Word. Jesus has always been. The Word was with God. Jesus has always been in existence with the Father. And the Word was God. Jesus Christ has always been God. And He was in the beginning with God. Jesus has always been in fellowship with His Father. Well, then we come down to verse 3. And here's the line between verse 1 and verse 3. Because He talks about what was before. And then, as He said in chapter 17, He was before. He was with His Father before. But then verse 3, He talks about creation. Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. We sang about that today. Did y'all notice that? We sang about that. The stars in the sky. He placed them. Have you ever been out in a, in, in a field in a dark place and no, you know, no city lights or anything and just looked up and gone, oh my goodness. And we're just seeing a little part with our eyes. Which is the best camera you'll ever have, by the way. Best camera you'll ever have is your eyes. Jesus Christ is the creator of all things, is what he says in verse 4. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. You know that little phrase, all things, means each and everything. <laughs> Isn't that good? Each and everything he created. Where is it? Here it is. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. For by him all things were created. Both in the heavens and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things. All things. Each and everything. So now when you see that all things you're going to go. Oh yeah that means each and everything. Man gets credit for nothing. And you think about how nonsensical evolution is. Randomly, millions and millions of years ago, all these gases, they came together and, boosh, and here we are. And you have people that not only teach that, and by the way, they don't teach it as theory. Are you listening to me? They teach it as fact. That millions and millions of years ago, through all these gases and processes and bam, here we are. And I, I mean, I'm like, what? No. I even say you got to have more faith to believe that. It just all by chance came together, and here we are. And my eyeball works like it does. You've got to be kidding me. You ever try to explain to someone something fantastic that you've seen, and you're like, oh, I can't wait to explain this to somebody, or I'm going to take a picture, and then I'm going to explain where I've been. I've been to the Grand Tetons. Any of you been to the Grand Tetons? You ever tried to explain that to somebody? Man, let me just tell you, I mean, it's just unbelievably beautiful. I mean, you're looking up and you're just, oh, how did people say there's not a God? You ever tried to explain Niagara Falls to someone? 
even showing them a picture. Oh, maybe a picture will help. Uh-uh. It doesn't. It's good. It's good to take a picture of the Grand Tetons, but there is nothing like your eyes seeing that. Isn't it incredible? Just the eyeball. And what God has given us. It's so complex. So I go, well, because I'm just a practical guy, I go, that's really complex. Boom or complex, right? I, I believe it. Uh, no, I don't. I don't believe it just happened. I don't believe we just evolved to this, oh, here we are. I believe that God took that dirt, that dust, and he created man. And he breathed life into that man. And then you know what he did? He did a surgery. And he took out that rib and he formed woman. That's what he did. Why? Because God's a life giver. Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. For by him all things were created. Both in the heavens and on the earth. I just look at it and I say, wow, Lord, you're an amazing God. And we do not give you enough honor for your creative work. All things, everything was made through him. Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. And you notice, I know you've probably already read ahead, but if you go down to verse 10, he says, he says it again in case they missed it. He was in the world, and the world was made what? Through him. All right, so he's always been in fellowship with the Father. He's the creator of all things. And the last thing we want to look at together is that Jesus Christ is the spiritual, life-giving light to a dark world. You know what you can't do when you come down to verses 4 and 5? You cannot separate life from light. I've heard people try to do that. And the more I studied, I'm like, well, you can't do it. John doesn't do it. Notice what he says. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. What in the world is he saying? Did you notice that they go together? In him was life. In him was eternal life, zoe. And this eternal, abundant life was the light of men. Well, Charles Ryrie, who some of you might have his study Bible. You might even have it right in front of you. And I don't know if this quote's in his study Bible, but I like the way he explains this. And it's very simple, and I wanted to give it to you in a very simple manner. He says, light in the gospel of John implies revelation or an unveiling that discloses the life that is in Jesus Christ. When we think of light, right, there's, there's Light like we think of, just everyday light, okay? Like foss is the word, so we think of light in that manner. But he's talking about something different. He's using it in a spiritual connotation to talk about truth, right? Truth. And so what does light do? Light reveals. Jesus came to what? Reveal himself, reveal the truth. In fact, 
it says in John, let me see if I can go there. I guess I can't go there. Yeah, there it is. In John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, notice this, and here's light and life together. He says, then Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of what? Of life. Okay? So coming back to Charles Ryrie's statement. Light in the gospel implies revelation, and we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come, that discloses the life that is in Christ Jesus. So light brings with it direction, right? It reveals what is true, okay? If you go back even to the Old Testament, it does that. And the psalmist said in Psalm 36, For with you is the fountain of life, in your light we see light. Okay? So, light reveals, it brings to light things that are. Do you know what you find in the Gospel of John? Jesus bringing to light the things that are. That's what you see. Okay, and you're going to see it over and over again as we go through the book. But, you know, also, light does what? It penetrates, doesn't it? It penetrates darkness. And we'll talk about that more in just a moment. All right. So then Ryrie goes on to say, Revelation that discloses the life that is in Jesus Christ and brings into judgment those who reject it. There are those in Jesus' day who rejected him being the light, him being the truth. Okay. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay. So they are going to reject some of them this truth that they are given. And so because they reject the truth, then they are going to miss out on Zoe. Are you listening to me? They are going to miss out on Zoe. Now, this is important here. They're going to miss out on Zoe with Christ. But they're not going to miss out on eternal life. Because they're going to be raised, the unbeliever will be one day. And they're going to live forever in a place called hell. That no one wants to speak about. Okay? But it's the truth. So, there will be those in the life of John while he was with Christ that rejected Christ. John saw rejection and acceptance of Christ in his own life. The word life denotes salvation, is what Ryrie says, and deliverance based on Christ's atonement. So, the question becomes, who did Jesus Christ die for? That is a hotly debated subject. Did you know that? I'm just going to read what this says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The world there is all. The world. You say, yeah, Thad, but that doesn't cover who he died for. Well, okay. I've got something else you need to listen to. 1 John. In 1 John, it tells us, this about Jesus Christ. And he himself is the propitiation. You say, that, that's a weird word. It just means satisfaction. He is the satisfaction for our sins, John says. Who was that? You remember in 1 John? That was the believer. That was himself, the other apostles, and believers. He himself is the propitiation, satisfaction for our sins, lying in the sand. And then he says... And not for ours only. Oh, well, who's ours? Believers, 
not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Each and every man, each and every woman, the atonement of Christ was sufficient for all. That's what the Bible certainly seems to say. But life is the issue. Do you have eternal life? Is that something that you could walk away from today and say, yes, I know, Thad, that I have eternal life? Because eternal life is in Him. We say, how do I get this eternal life? Do you know that you can't have eternal life unless you're born again? You say, Thad, how in the world can I be born again? Do you know we're going to run into that? In John chapter 3. John chapter 3, Jesus himself is going to say to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Guess what man can do, cannot do? He cannot make himself alive. Well, how in the world is a man made alive? Do you know what Jesus does with Nicodemus? He says, here it is, believe. That's what he says. Nicodemus could not be, he was confused by the question. What do you mean I must be born again? He didn't understand. The concept, and Jesus explains it to him, and in doing so, tells him how a person can have eternal life. This Zoe that John talks about in the very beginning in his gospel. Well, then we come to verse 5. The light shines in the darkness. Okay, when we think of light, we think of truth. The truth shines in the darkness. The darkness represents that which is false or the world. Okay? So what John is doing, remember he's looking back and he's writing, the light shines in the darkness. He saw that light. Who was the light? Jesus Christ. The light came, he came into a dark world. Do we all agree with that? Yeah, it's a dark world. Jesus came, and the Bible says, the light shines in the darkness. Listen to this. It shines in the darkness. Jesus shone in the darkness, and the darkness did not overwhelm it or overtake it or overcome it. In other words, the darkness could not overcome the light. Are you listening to me? This is very, very important. The darkness could not overcome the light. You think about darkness and light for a minute. Have you ever opened a teenager's door at 8 in the morning on a Saturday? And their room is dark. And you decide that you're going to give it some light. And you walk over and you open the shades or you turn on the light. And what do they say? Oh, thank you so much for waking me up. Thank you so much for revealing yourself. That's not what they do. My dad wouldn't let me sleep till all hours of the day, back in the day. But what does light do? When you go in that dark room, light reveals, doesn't it? Right? I remember in college, we used to, when we wanted to sleep during the afternoons, we would try to make that dorm room as dark as possible. But you could always tell when somebody was opening a door. Because there would be light that would come in. And it would shine. And I was thinking, you know, Lord, 
you came in the darkness and the light shined in the darkness and the darkness didn't overtake it didn't overwhelm it 1992 I was in Belize at King's College now King's College is not like you have a picture of a college this is not like a college campus like the beautiful university down in Tuscaloosa or the beautiful university down in Auburn or the really beautiful university in Fayetteville it's not like any of those okay it is a bunch of little cabins dark long like looks like military cabins and it's out in the jungle and I remember my first time there, we went to King's College, and they warned us, Kent did, hey, Th Thad, we're going to turn the lights out at 8 o'clock. No more power. No more electricity. There were a lot of things wrong with that. Number one, I don't know what's out there in the jungle. I have, my imagination can run wild. I don't know what's inside the barracks. I know they have lizards as long as golf clubs down there. I mean, these, these, they're just unbelievable. There's every kind of animal that's crawling around, not to mention the spiders that want to get in your shoes. I remember one of the first things Kent said to us, hey, put your shoes up on your bed. I'm like, why would we do that? He said, things crawled in your shoes. So, so we get to the point at night where the lights were going to go off. And it was dark. It was dark like I'd never seen before. And at first, you're like, whoa, this is... And if you were closed inside your little room, it was pitch black. But when you walked outside that door and you walked out into that little field and you looked up, it was like, whoa. The light from the stars and the heavens shone down. And it was just like, whoa. The darkness didn't overtake the light. Listen to me. It may look like to us the world is winning. Can I tell you something? Christ has already won. Listen to me. He's already won. And did you know that the light that we will be exposed to in glory, the only light that's needed is the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust today that you know him. That you know when you read back over those verses, you'll never read them the same. Because in that little package is a great big package of who Jesus Christ is. He is all those things. So the next time somebody says, who is Jesus Christ to you? You have a lot to say to them. All right, let's pray together. Lord, this is a, a paragraph we could talk about for <laughs> days. But Lord, it just reveals to us who you are and it, it gives us hope. Um, I think about who John was writing to and when he was writing. And you know, that's, that's as what we looked at last week. He, he wrote so that people might believe in the Son and Jesus Christ. Who is Lord, who's over all, who is God, who created all things, 
who in him is life and light. I pray that we would, as we walk through this dark world, that we'd remember that little song that we sung, some of us, when we were kids. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Help us to be lights in a dark world so that people might see the truth about Jesus Christ the Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand, guys. And this is a song that we introduced a few weeks ago in a video, but we've never sung it as a congregation. But uh, everyone just really loved the song, and it actually fits really well. So you guys sing with us.
Amen. Thank you, guys. Um, just wanted to encourage you that, um, wow, those lights are bright. Um, I didn't want to encourage you about that. I'd like those things to go off, but um, I just want to encourage you guys that um, I guess probably if somebody asked me, Thad, who is Jesus Christ, I would, I would probably include a lot of these things that, are, that I've talked about this morning, but maybe, just maybe, we have, um, just because we're human, have thought less of Jesus Christ than who he is. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I, I trust that you'll embark on a study of your own through those verses and look at some parallel passages that might help you to appreciate who we love and serve. All right? I want to make mention of a couple of announcements before you leave today. Um, this Thursday, we'll be having a men's fellowship. This is the last time to sign up, uh, last day to sign up, and the fellowship uh, uh, sheet is out there in the foyer for you to sign. And uh, I encourage you to do that. And we're talking about fellowship a little bit today. It's really important. You know, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. And so it's really important, I think, for men to be together. It's always a good thing. So Thursday night, 6 o'clock, you come for that. I also wanted to uh, just make a quick announcement about the Decades Fellowship. Now, that's a different kind of get-together. Um, we're going to encourage you that that's for college age and up. What you would do is you come dressed. It's on February the 10th. And uh, you'll come dressed in your... That's a Saturday, by the way, not a Sunday. <laughs> you'll come dressed... Um, in your decade attire, what is it that you wore when you were in high school? And so I've still got to find me some big jeans that cover my shoes. But um, you guys uh, want to dress up, and then we're going to have a prize for the best dressed. And we're not doing this just because we're doing this to encourage, you know, fellowship together, getting together, getting to know each other better. We're going to have hamburgers and hot dogs, milkshakes, and floats. Those floats are so good. A little root beer, that's beside the point, but a little root beer there with us. Mm, that's good. And then we're going to have some trivia and some games uh, just to fellowship together. And so I hope you'll put that on your calendar. That's February the 10th. And like I said, it's for college age and up. All right? Well, it's been good to see you today, be with you. And so let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, thanks for fellowship. Thanks for the fellowship we can have with you because of Jesus Christ. As John wrote, the fellowship we have with the Father and Son, we, I pray we enjoy that fellowship, that we enjoy being together. And, and I was thinking this last week, one day we will have uninterrupted fellowship. Uh, nothing will get in our way of just being there with our Lord and Savior. And so we look forward to that day. And until that day, I pray you'd help us to be bold in proclaiming um, the description of our Savior. There is no one like Him. So we give Him all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Dismissed.